a humiliating defeat for the Buckhead breakaway movement. On the passage of the bill, the yeas are 23 and the nays are 33. And this bill has not received the Rexwood constitutional majority and therefore has failed. You could say the Buckhead stops here. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, I'm here at the Capitol. It's been very, very busy. We cannot wait to dive into this episode. We have had a cliffhanger We have had a suspense thriller. It all came down to a vote on the Senate floor today, and we have the results of that. Coming up in today's episode, we're going to talk about what's next for the Buckhead Cityhood movement, new steps by Georgia Republicans that could penalize some state prosecutors. We're going to answer your questions from the listener mailbag, and we're going to discuss our who's up and who's down for the week. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're taping this just minutes after the Georgia Senate voted 33-23 to resoundingly reject the Buckhead divorce movement, the secession movement um, from uh, Republican lawmakers, a group of them who had supported this breakaway. And, you know, Patricia, it's so interesting. We've talked a lot about this effort, but what we don't see that often on the Senate floor or any legislative chamber is when Republican leaders know they have a vote that's doomed to fail. We often don't see it go up for a vote. You know, usually they bottle it up, they table it, um, they work on it to try to improve it. Uh, We knew days ago that this this secession movement um sponsored by mostly rural group of mostly rural republican lawmakers didn't have the votes to pass the georgia senate and yet to some surprise it still came up for a vote and was still resoundingly rejected it was a you know you had 10 republican state senators vote against it including several who spoke publicly about their decision to vote against this bill. It was a victory for the city of Atlanta. It was a victory for uh, a group of corporate executives and community leaders who had come uh, to oppose this effort. And frankly, it was a victory for Governor Brian Kemp, whose aides had put out a memo um, not long ago, just a day before uh, the vote, with a number of legal and constitutional questions uh, that still are still unresolved. It also was a victory for the legislative leadership 
in Buckhead, um, including two freshmen, Jason Estevez. Um, Josh McLaurin is not a freshman in the Capitol, but he is a new state senator. He also represents Buckhead. Um, there were there was so much churn about this vote, and there was so much noise and volume. Even when it came to the Senate floor, people knew how it was going to go, but there was always this kind of weird wild card moment where what if they didn't know how it was going to go? And so I would say that this um, ended up being a really lopsided victory for the people against Buckhead City, but there really was an immense amount of tension as it came down to that. And State Senator John Albers, a Republican who spoke from the Senate floor, voted against this effort. He's been very, very focused on public safety in the state and in the city of Atlanta. And he said, listen, I do not like the behavior I've seen from some people on this. Um, I have my own personal beliefs about this. I know other people do too, but we need to get better at having arguments about things like this. Let's listen to this audio from State Senator John Albers, who reminded fellow Republicans how the people of Buckhead tend to vote. You do know that Buckhead's a Democrat city that voted overwhelmingly for that other person who lost overwhelmingly to our governor. Just want to make sure everybody knew that one. So Patricia, he was pointing out something that we pointed out in our coverage over and over again, which is Buckhead isn't some, you know, hard right enclave that it used to, you know, maybe used to be. It has gone increasingly liberal and blue over the last few election cycles. So that was one of the key concerns that kept on coming up in conversations privately with Republicans, which is why are, why are we going bending over backwards to get a new city that will be led by another Democrat? Yes, exactly. For all of the Democrat-run cities that um, they like to talk about, including Atlanta, um, it was brought up many times, this will be another, quote, Democrat-run city, because I think people have an image and a perception of Buckhead as um, sort of the white enclave that it was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, It's still very upscale, but it's increasingly diverse. It's increasingly and now majority Democratic. It went very heavily for Joe Biden in 2020. It's just not the Buckhead that it used to be. Now, that is uh, part of the problem for some people who wanted to see a Buckhead city, to be honest with you. But it's just not the, it, it is not what the Republicans from outside of Atlanta thought they were dealing with even as they were pushing for this vote. And the fact that it is majority Democratic was among about a dozen different issues that really made no sense with the underlying proposal. And when you got into the details of the legislation, it was just very, very deeply flawed. There were just major, major problems with it. And it makes you ask why in the world would this even come up for a vote anyway? Why would it come out of committee? And that's something that we're really going to be unpacking for quite some time. Yeah, I want to get to that question, why it came to a vote in a second. But first, let's talk about those those deep issues. Because the governor's two-page memo from his executive counsel, David Dove, so it came from the governor's top lawyer, uh, outlined some of those very important concerns. And it was 11 questions, but what I was told by one ally of the governor is there could have been, you know, 10 times as many. Um, they questioned that the memo raised concerns about what happens with the bond market. You know, when you're t- dealing with billions of dollars in bonds that Atlanta is still on the hook for, how do you deal with those with, with creating a new city out of an existing municipality? There was questions about where students who live in the proposed city of Buckhead could even go to school because as we saw Atlanta Public Schools put out a statement saying 
they, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to go to Atlanta public school system because it's not a part of the city of Atlanta. And there's other issues about what would happen to the proposed public safety center, um, what would happen with the facilities in the proposed city of Buckhead, which would be called for basically a fire sale prices, you know, $1,000 for school facilities, $100,000 for the water system, $100,000 for the sewer system. These are facilities, of course, worth millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. And, uh, parkland being sold at pennies on the dollar. So a number of huge issues were raised. They didn't necessarily come up as much in the debate today, because I think a lot of people knew how, how folks were already going to vote, but significant issues that would have delayed, they would have stalled the bill out in the House, certainly, if it even had passed the Senate. Yeah, also the legislation never did address um, the really big problem in Buckhead uh, that started this whole thing in the first place, the violent crime in Buckhead. It never did address in the legislation why would crime be different with a new city than with the current city, other than the stated plan to hire more police officers. All of those people would still go down to the Fulton County Courthouse, despite the fact that Bill White said that he would appoint judges that would put these people in jail for a year and we would need the Fulton County Courthouse. That's just not how the criminal justice system works. So all of the promises about solving crime just were not reflected in that legislation. The theme that we did hear in the debate on the Senate floor today was this concept of people not having their voices heard and this concept of people being ignored and disenfranchised and not allowed to vote on their own kind of have self-determination over their own community. That brought a pretty quick retort from a Democrat who said, uh, I'm glad to hear everybody in this chamber is so interested in voting rights and making sure that people's voices are heard. Democrats have been talking about that issue across the state all along, but that's not what this is. I know that some Buckhead residents do feel like for sure, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms did not listen to their concerns and was not addressing their concerns. I do think Andre Dickens has had a really different tack to the larger Buckhead. The day after he was elected, he did four visits around the city, and two of those were in Buckhead. Um, one of the very first things he did was open a new police precinct in Buckhead. He has been very, very extroverted and almost aggressive in making sure that he is, you know, quote, doing something about Buckhead, making sure lawmakers know about it. And again, that's something that Albers talked about. He said, we had a, a prop, we had a mayor before, in his words, who was oblivious to the problems in Buckhead. The current administration has changed that. Now, the problems of crime have not gone away. Um, nobody said that. Democrats didn't say that. Republicans didn't say that. But the underlying bill for these Republicans who voted no just also said nothing about crime. This does not address how it would change crime. And you get into the 10 Republicans who voted no. Two of those were Governor Kemp's floor leaders. One was Frank Genn, who was the chairman of the committee that heard this bill in the first place. That was a huge, huge no vote. Um, Brian Strickland, uh, chair of Judiciary Committee. These are all really important, thoughtful voices on this issue. So in order for this to be reheard and reconsidered, there there will have to be substantive changes. And I don't know that any of that's down the road. Yeah, exactly. And look, I mean, it, it was so bizarre being in the chamber Knowing again, you know, oftentimes we know if a bill is brought to the a vote, it has the votes to pass. But this is a new regime. Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones 
is just a few weeks into his stint as lieutenant governor. And the Senate is different. <laughs> it's hard to predict. And in this case, uh, we were all watching a vote we knew was doomed because I, had, I myself had talked to seven Republicans before the vote who had told me they were voting against it. And that's enough to, to, to seal the deal. You know, you never know. Things change at the last minute. I've, it certainly happened over my experience. But I, it felt like the supporters of this measure knew for sure, because we heard from State Senator Randy Robertson, who is one of the chief sponsors of the bill. He lives, by the way, about 100 miles southwest of Atlanta in West Georgia. But he lashed out at Atlanta and its allies for prosecuting what he said was an ugly campaign. And it sounded an awful lot more like a concession speech than a call to action. Here's what he said. So you can be disgruntled about a group of people wanting to start something that we've always done. You can champion a vote against it. And if it fails, you can run to the end zone and spike the ball. But I'm going to tell you, all you've done is shown that you are more important than the people we're here to serve. So, Patricia, uh, it was a, um, an emotional speech for Randy Robertson, who has made this one of his primary issues this session. Again, a guy who lives 100 miles southwest of, of Atlanta. Uh, he also challenged Republicans to show backbone and vote for this measure. So it was a rare alliance we probably will never see again of 10, in, in some cases, very senior Republicans joining with the entire Democratic caucus to vote against this bill. But it does beg the question, A, and that's what I want to dive into, why they brought the vote in the, in the first place, and B, where we go next. I think well, let's go let's tackle A first. We led the jolt on Thursday with this question because, again, we knew this was doomed to fail. And it was a question that was reverberating. Some supporters said, well, you know, even if it's voted down, there's still a chance for it to be revived later on in the session. That looks very, very, very unlikely right now, but you never say never. Um, and, you know, but others were texting me and telling me, and these are some Republican lawmakers, by the way, and, and some of these people who were texting me were, were voted yes on this, uh, who are saying, you know, we just want to bring the vote up for the vote and watch it die so we don't have to deal with this issue again. So they may have been playing this sort of long game strategy of uh, let it come to a vote, let it get humiliated uh, with 10 Republicans voting against it. And so we can all move on as a legislature. Yeah. And I think that because the theme of the argument was let the people's voices be heard in a very kind of ironic way, had the state Senate not brought this to a vote, had Jones killed it before it got to the Senate floor, I think those complaints would have continued. And we would have continued to have heard from um, the Buckhead City movement. The, you know, these are they're just backroom deals. They are not letting us have our voices heard. What are they afraid of? Why won't they let the people vote? Why won't they let the state Senate vote? So by having this public vote and having a really big defeat of it publicly, it really does show that the support for this measure is just not there. Even in the state Senate, which I think we consider to be more likely, more conservative to go along with something like this. So the support is just not there. It also was really evident when you look at where the votes were, um, that when you're talking about having people have their voices heard, no member from Buckhead and no member from Atlanta wanted this. It wasn't their idea. They were actively actively lobbying against it. They all ran on a promise not to support Buckhead City. So after they've been elected, um, 
in Buckhead to fight against Buckhead, this is what they're doing. And so that was one argument from Jason Estevez. He said, the people have voted and they elected me and that's why I'm here. So it's not that people aren't having their voices heard. It's that people aren't always getting what they want, but that's what happens in a democracy. I want to play a clip from State Senator Greg Dolezal to try to illuminate how Republicans outside of the city of Atlanta kind of sometimes see the city, because that, that helps give you a glimpse of why this effort got as far as it did. Even if it failed, it still got to the floor of the state Senate and still got almost two dozen Republican votes. When you can't go pump gas without getting out of your car, when you drive to the Publix at the end of Peachtree Battle and watch your rearview mirror to figure out if you're being followed and then you realize you're being followed, you turn around and go home and you can't even grocery shop, how dare we tell those people just wait for the next politician to come and fix it? And how dare we be silent? So Patricia, uh, Greg Dolezal from the excerpts coming in Forsyth County. Um, but his view is shared by a number of other Republicans who did back this, who feel like they're, that by stepping foot in Buckhead, they are stepping foot into a, a raging war. Listen, I live in Buckhead. I don't feel like I live in a raging war. <laughs> it's kind of nice. It's actually really nice. Um, it is different, though. There is more crime than there used to be. And a lot of it is very scary. It just is. So, um, But I do think that we see a lot more from the mayor to address that. It hasn't gone away, but it does feel better than it did two years ago. This is just my personal observation. But it's still, there are still crimes, um, you know, a mile or two from my house that you just just can't even describe because they're so um, so disturbing. However, um, it it's not the way it was before, and I think certainly the city leadership is much more responsive and vocal about it. But when we heard some of the Republican senators talking about crime in Buckhead, Colton Moore, who is from Northwest Georgia, said, "I don't know. It sounds pretty dangerous to me." You know, Randy Robertson said. The Buckhead I drive through 20 years ago is not the same Buckhead that I drive through today, you know, but it's the point is you drive through it. You don't (laughs) live there. And the people who do live in Buckhead have elected these lawmakers who were very, very vocal in their plans to oppose Buckhead City. It was the main issue that they ran on. It wasn't just, and also, by the way, I would oppose Buckhead City. This is why they were elected. So for the Republicans from outside of Buckhead to be pushing that, that really did feel like kind of the ultimate disenfranchisement to people who do live in Buckhead and said, who are these guys? I've never even heard of Randy Robertson. Why is he doing this? Certainly he's been contacted by some Buckhead residents, but they don't feel like the majority of residents. I think we've seen quite a bit of recent polling that shows the buck, the majority of Buckhead residents just don't feel good about where the proposal was when it was coming up for a vote. The schools, the bonds, the water, the sewer, none of it has been addressed. And it was feeling that it was creating more problems than it would ever solve. And that's just really bad public policy. And that's what's sort of interesting because even supporters went to the floor of the Senate and to say that they know that polls show that this will likely die even in a referendum. They knew that the governor was likely to veto it before he even got there, and they knew the House wasn't going to take this up at all. So they knew this was a sort of an exercise in vain. But at the same time, they were out there advocating for this issue. And okay, here's the question now. Where does this go next? Because we're both veterans of the State House. We know that issues like this don't seem to just go away. 
we're still talking about religious liberty, and it's been about a decade, right? We're, there's still efforts every so often uh, to uh, give state control of the Atlanta airport. So th- there's just you know, recurring perennial battles that we've talked about for years, including betting, gambling, all those issues that are still um, very much alive today as, as topics of discussion at the Statehouse. Uh, so in my view, this doesn't go away. Even, even with the, you know, this, this sort of defeat, um, the, the folks behind the Buckhead Cityhood Movement, Bill White, that, that group is well-organized. Um, we're not sure about their funding, but they seem to be well-funded. They seem to have some support. They obviously have at least almost two dozen lawmakers in the state Senate willing to put their necks on the line for them. And of course, the biggest reason is they have Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who was an early supporter of the Buckhead Cityhood movement and who sent this statement right after the vote. I'm quoting here from Burt Jones. Every Georgian deserves the opportunity to have his or her voice heard and to receive a fair vote during the legislative process. The Senate body has now spoken on this issue. Moving forward, I intend to continue to be a strong and engaged partner with all parties, including the city of Atlanta, to ensure accountability so that all residents of Fulton County feel safe in their community. So, Patricia, uh, the key point to this is the Senate body has now spoken on this issue. That's what I take to say, hey, this isn't coming up again this year, uh, probably not next year, but we'll see. Um, so in terms of Burt Jones is thinking this is kind of, you know, he's kind of washed his hands of it for now. But again, we know how this stuff goes. We thought it was, you know, there are a lot of people who thought it was dead and over with last year after David Ralston, the late House Speaker, and then the Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan both said this wasn't going anywhere. And now there's two lead, new leaders in the, in, in the chambers and, you know, and it got to a vote. Yeah, I think the the uh, the one person that the Buckhead City people really need to see a different um, a different posture from is Governor Brian Kemp. It is so rare that the governor would take the time that the governor's office would take the time to go through a piece of legislation and outline the many many constitutional problems and flaws inside that legislation and then make sure it goes out to their floor leaders and then you know make sure that other members know about that that just doesn't really happen typically for a bill that comes to the floor and so they're going to have to address all of those issues and really come back with substantively different answers i don't i totally agree i don't think bill white is going away i don't think the buckhead city signs are going away I want to point out that when you see all those Buckhead City signs, it's two to a yard. That's the new innovation with the Buckhead City signs. There's two in each yard instead of one in each yard. So it looks like probably twice as many as there really are. Um, But I don't think they're, of course, they're not going to go away, but they're going to have to have a foundational overhaul of what they're asking for and what they're suggesting. And what they're asking for right now is constitutionally unprecedented and practically impossible to split the biggest city apart. And it's not just one of the biggest cities in Georgia. It is the city in Georgia, the economic engine to split that apart, create two cities out of that, divide up those assets and make sure that nobody falls through the cracks and there are no unintended consequences. That is an incredibly heavy lift. That is for somebody with decades of public policy experience. And and we just haven't seen anything close to that in this process so far. That is a perfect place to put a pin on this discussion. 
Oh, speaking of pens, I do have to say this. The, one of the funniest things uh, at this chamber today was I saw three Democrats wearing Governor Brian Kemp pens on their lapels. They were all doing it just for the day, <laughs> but in honor of that memo that Kemp's top lawyer, David Dove, issued that raises all those legal questions about the proposal. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join our community this very moment by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, before we get to our mailbag, I want to talk about a bill that actually passed the Georgia Senate today. That is a bill that would provide more state oversight over prosecutors. Lawmakers seem to be racing ahead with legislation that would give the state new powers to investigate, discipline, or even oust local prosecutors. It would create a commission that could investigate complaints and recommend that district attorneys and solicitors general be sanctioned or removed if they violate their duties. So the question here is, of course, you know, it's, it's pretty subjective. What does violating their duties mean? And that was the brunt of the debate here at the Capitol today was, okay, is this just something where it could be used against prosecutors who, let's say, decide against bringing charges against low-level drug offenders um, or who, who don't try to enforce Georgia's anti-abortion laws because we've written stories about a number of prosecutors who are taking that stance. So there was a lot of concern about that, and there was certainly concern from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who's emerged as one of the leading opponents of this measure, who says, in her words, she feels like this was fueled by racism because of a number of district attorneys of color who have been recently elected to their spots. So this is a very, very touchy debate. And pretty much every Democrat in the state Senate voted against this bill. And most, almost every Republican voted for it. So almost completely down party lines. And even some of the language in that bill is quite subjective. There's a clause that says that a DA can be removed or disciplined if there is plausible cause that they have been failing to perform their duties. Um, no one knew it, what that meant, by the way. No it's one's ever still heard in the bill. It is yeah. still, I don't know what plausible cause is either. There was an objection raised in committee about the phrase probable cause. So that was changed to 
plausible cause. And now nobody knows what that means. But it's, you know, it's still in that bill. It also creates uh, the panel. The panel that it creates is um, will be appointed or would be appointed by the governor, the Speaker of the House, and the state Senate leadership. So that's an entirely Republican oversight committee. Randy Robertson, who was also the sponsor of this bill, was asked, did you give any thought to having a, a Democratic member of that committee? Did you give any thought to having this be more balanced? And he said, I, I just don't think we should inject politics into this conversation. And so <laughs> that was uh, not the answer that the questioner was looking for. Um, but I talked to Fannie Willis about this legislation and a second piece of legislation that reduces the threshold to recall a district attorney from 30% of registered voters of signatures to 2%. So obviously a drastic drop in the number of people you would need to recall a DA. And she was just flat out really furious about both of these bills. She said they're inappropriate, that they are nothing more than about politics. They're not about a person's performance in office. She said that um, elections every four years, and the Georgia Bar Association, and just the criminal code all act as checks on the power of district attorneys, and that they're ultimately voted by their communities who want them to be enforcing laws the way that they are enforcing them. There have also been a some examples, some troubling examples of DA misconduct around the state, including in Brunswick, where the DA did not uh, even in really investigate Ahmaud Arbery's murder until the governor stepped in. And uh, there was a district attorney in Columbus who had multiple felony fraud charges against him. He was eventually removed because of those charges. So there's kind of a, you know, an example of, but uh, but these prosecutors, but then overall the prosecutors say, listen, there are, there are programs and processes in place that worked in those cases. Those people are not in office anymore. So it's, it was a really contentious debate, and I was surprised in talking to Willis just how steamed she was over these. And she has worked um, very hard to court Republican lawmakers because they do set funding for law enforcement budgets across the state, including for the GBI, for the crime lab. And uh, she needs those Republicans to support funding for programs that she needs in her office. And so she's worked really hard on those relationships. And she was very, very um, clear that this bill she felt was just pure politics. And it was reported by, it was supported rather by nearly all of the Republicans in that chamber. Um, Asked her if that was going to affect her relationship with these lawmakers. And she said, well, If they can, you know, I'll work with anybody who wants to work with me. But if some of them can't handle the truth that I'm serving, that's really not my problem. So um, it was a really eye-opening interview, and that'll be in my Sunday column. Oh, I can't wait to read it. And yes, supporters certainly invoked uh, all those um, past cases of DAs who have gotten in trouble, ousted, convicted of crimes, and others who are still in office but are seen as inept or ineffective by their critics. And look, opponents of the measure said there's already procedures in place to deal with them. There's the ballot box, and there's the State Bar of Georgia, there's the Georgia Supreme Court, and of course there's Georgia law. So we will continue to watch that as it develops. Okay, now it is time to get to one of our favorite segments of the week. I know I look forward to this every week. It's the listener mailbag, which you can call into anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That is 770 
1-800-227-5297. Producer Shaney B is always, always, always standing by. Always and always and always. You know, I sleep with one eye open, one ear open, just in case that phone rings. I'm there to grab it. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, the phone didn't ring the this week. The bad news is. But so we I got, got a fun sleep. Thanks, everybody. Shady, <laughs> <laughs> you got some sleep, but we got some good texted and emailed questions. What do we got, Shady? Uh, we do, but now, you know, the one rule, you got to give me a name. If you don't give me a name, I give you a name. Uh, so we hear from Beatrice. Beatrice writes, with three leadership bills going down on the Senate floor today, what is the current state of the GOP caucus in the chamber? That's a great question, Beatrice. Uh, look, the Senate is very different than it was under Jeff Duncan. We're going to still see how that evolves. But clearly, early on, we know that Burt Jones and the legislative floor leaders have no problem bringing forward bills that they know are going to fail. Um, because it was no surprise to anyone that Buckhead City had failed. And there's no surprise that the uh, horse racing bill failed and it failed pretty miserably. <laughs> it went down in flames. And so again, like we're used to seeing a Senate that doesn't often bring up bills that are doomed. In this case, I think it's more, I don't know if it's fly by the seat of the pants, but it's a little more unpredictable, a little more volatile. Um, it might, you know, settle into a more predictable hum over the next few years as Burt Jones and his allies get their feet steady. But also, we, it might not. This might just be his his leadership style. And as we've heard from him and his his aides over and over again, he's going to let things go to debate. He's not afraid to, to put these things on the floor. Yeah, and Burt Jones... You know, we I wouldn't call him a, a backbencher from when he was a state senator, but he certainly was not in the uh, go-to, he was not on the go team, I'll say that, for GOP leadership when he was in the state Senate. So he knows the feeling of being a rank-and-file member and occasionally even being on the outs with the leadership of the Senate. And he seems to be taking the tack that it's better and healthier for the leadership to kind of just let it rip, you know, just let the let the bills come to the floor, see what happens. In a lot of cases, it's kind of like a jet test flight. See if it gets in the air. If it crashes and burns, you learn a lot. Maybe you try again. Maybe the catastrophe is too severe, but it's the <laughs> only way to move things on or off the schedule. And so this appears to be, for now, the leadership style. It's very, um, it's, it's kept me watching the state Senate a lot more than the state house over for this session. There's a lot more going on in the state Senate. Um, and I happen to know that's just fine with the state house. They don't mind if reporters are paying more attention to the Senate than to the house. Can I tell you why the state house might not love this though? Is because, you know, for a long time, they've been the safety valve. They've been this backstop. And uh, I don't think that the late House Speaker David Ralston quite relished that role of having to, you know, say no to uh, members of his party who wanted uh, him to take up measures in the House that the Senate had already passed, well, that just seems like it's going to accelerate. And even on Thursday, the same day where the Senate rejected a number of initiatives brought forward by the Republican leadership, the State House was a study in contrast. You know, they were unanimously embracing mental health expansions and uh, landlord reforms with tenant rights, you know, these issues that are very important, but we're also, they, they were able to find consensus and it was, it was on, on major issues and it was a contrast from the state Senate, which was shooting down votes, torpedoing bills. Um, 
it was a contrast from the Senate. And I think we will continue to see that. And listen, there's plenty of time left in this legislative session. Today felt a little bit, a lot like actually a crossover day. It was sort of so frenetic and there was so much stuff moving, so many piles of papers. It felt a lot like a huge deadline day. Monday's going to be crossover day. And then as we all know, even if something doesn't get across on crossover day, it's not over until it's over. Do not count your chickens until... I used to say midnight on day 40, but we've seen that go past midnight recently. So maybe 1 a.m. on day 41. So that final gavel is banged. <laughs> exactly. We'll see. We'll see. And then we'll be able to really take a, you know, take a measure of um, uh, which chamber was the leader and which chamber was the follower this time around. Well, now it is time for our final segment of the show. Who's up and who's down? Well, we always like to end on a high note, so we'll start with who's down. Patricia, who's your who's down for the week? My who's down for the week is an out-of-state who's downer, but it's important to a conversation we've been having. My who's down is the city of Chicago, because the city of Chicago had a mayor's race that is still unresolved. The sitting mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, got only 17% of the vote. At the top two finishers are going on to an April runoff. Why is that important here in Atlanta? Because our competition for the DNC, for the Democratic National Convention in 2024, really is Chicago and New York. Right now, that political leadership, the situation there, they don't know who would be the mayor in 2024. Lori Lightfoot had been a major, major face of the city's bid. And so that kind of political turmoil doesn't feel good to planners who are trying to get a convention, trying to land a convention in a specific city. So I think Chicago is my who's down for this week. Well, I like it. You know, it's funny because we've seen a lot of national outlets kind of do anti-Atlanta DNC stories lately. And, you know, they were orchestrated either by New York or Chicago folks saying, hey, you know, whispering in reporters' ears, which, which happens a lot. But we haven't seen the Atlanta DNC boosters whisper in our ears or encourage other outlets to write these negative stories about the DNC going to Chicago or New York, uh, even though there's ways they can do that. And it's interesting because that usually means that, you know, if the knives are out for you, you're pretty much your signals. You're the front runner. So we will see how that plays out. Okay. My who's down for the week, horse raising enthusiasts. The effort to pass a sports betting bill that would also legalize horse racing in Georgia failed and failed badly on the Senate floor. It failed 37-19. So it went down in flames even worse than the Buckhead City had pushed. So there will not be any horse betting, at least in this measure. Uh, Sports betting, though, is still alive and well. So we will continue to watch to see how that goes. Patricia, who's your who's up for the week? My who's up for the week is Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens to get through this Buckhead City vote, the furthest it's gotten so far, to get a vote on on the full Senate floor and have a really resounding defeat for that Buckhead City bill is a huge victory for Andre Dickens. He'll probably sleep a lot better on Thursday night than he did on Wednesday night. It's not that we didn't think that we knew how it was going to go. But, you know, the politics just get wacky when people start twisting arms. And it was just not going to be over till it was over. And it looks like it's over for now. So Andre Dickens is for sure my who's up for now. 
Boy, you're right. You don't know how it's going to go until until it's actually voted on. And even what, even though I knew, even though I personally had talked to seven Republicans who were voting no against it, I was still talking to lobbyists out in the hall who were really worried about the vote. I'm like, okay, you know, I get it. You never know until that vote, that bell is rung. Um, my who's up for the week is somewhat similar. I'm going to go with David Dove. It's a name that oh. a lot of our listeners probably never heard of until until recently. He was he's the governor's executive counsel. He's the one who penned that two page memo that had a a very very quick reaction from a lot of Republicans who were already on the fence on Buckhead Cityhood. It was that memo that really pulled at least a handful of them to decide to vote against that measure. And it shows you the power of a, it wasn't a long memo, it was a two-page memo, but it had phrases like this, the statutory challenges they pose to the skin of the body politic. It may retailer the cloth of governance for Georgia's municipalities in ways that will ripple into a future of unforeseen outcomes. So a lot of highfalutin language. Man, that guy can write, man. He can write, right? (laughs) Uh, So David Dove gets my who's up for the week. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.